What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Now, here's Balky and Blubber. What's up, H-Town? Welcome to episode 15 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Balky. Uh, my partner, Jeff Blum, is not joining us today. Uh, first of all, it is currently about 1245 on Wednesday, so he is in the middle of a broadcast. Uh, but secondarily, we were not able to record on Thursday, which we would normally do in case of a day game, because he's going to be out of town. So he and I will resume uh, with a special Flash episode that will be coming up over the weekend. Uh, we're going to start doing a couple episodes a week as opposed to just one with one shorter and then one full-length one. So you got me flying solo today. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and other places where you get your podcasts. Uh, and of course, you can see us on YouTube, um, including just me by myself. Just me, my bobbleheads, my guitars, my Astrodome chairs, and, and just me. That's it. I would say my dogs, but they're not in here. Um, of course, you can find us on Twitter, uh, at Jeff Balke, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E, and at Blummer27 to find Jeff Blum. Uh, you can also find our Believe in Astros Twitter, at B-L-E-A-V in Astros. And uh, please do send us questions. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to start doing a bit of a mailbag segment uh, where Jeff Blum gets to answer all of your uh, crazy questions. And uh, maybe I can pitch in there as well. Who knows? Um, so today we do have one special guest that'll be coming on a little bit later. Uh, Dr. Alan Mattiso, who is a legend at Rice University, a longtime professor, was teacher there for 50 years, is still a member of the Baker Institute there. Um, also happens to be my father-in-law, and the reason we're going to have him on is because he is an absolute lifelong baseball fan. He's from Philadelphia. Uh, he's in his 80s now, and the guy just, he remembers everything about baseball. He's a massive Astros fan, and I've been wanting to have him on since we started the podcast. We just haven't been able to get a chance to do it, but today, got an interview with him that we'll you'll get to see a little bit later in the, uh, in the broadcast. So... That's what we got going so far. Um, I want to dig in first on these Major League Baseball rule changes for 2023. If you haven't seen it, Major League Baseball passed uh, a number of rule changes that are coming next season. Now, these rule changes um, are somewhat controversial among players. In fact, the I think it was four or five different players who sat on the rules committee all rejected them. Um and there's some probably some good reasoning why, but I just want to go through them. I wrote about them in the Houston Press. You can find my author page on our uh, Linktree site where you can see the links to all of those. The first one, and I kind of did this story on how they would impact the Astros, and so I, I want to get into that just a little bit. 
The first one is pitchers are only allowed two pickoff moves or step-offs per bat. I should have also mentioned in the story that batters are only allowed one stepping out of the box per at-bat. Now, overall, this I don't think it's going to make that much difference. The Astros don't have a lot of guys that are real slow uh, in terms of their delivery. They don't have a lot of guys who are super deliberate and throwing over to first or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm not sure this is going to make a, a, a big deal. I think that obviously this is part of baseball's desire to sort of tighten up the game, to make it faster. You know, games are still about three, a little over three hours per game. Uh, in the minor leagues, some of these changes have cut the, that down by half an hour. And I think Major League Baseball is looking for that magic sweet spot of about two and a half hours, which frankly even works in the NFL, works in the NBA, um, and that's what they're trying to do. And this is one of those things. I don't think it'll have a dramatic impact on the Astros. Second thing is they're going to increase the size of the bases, and I've also read that they're going to lower the profile of them a little bit. The idea here is to is to decrease injuries. In fact, Major League Baseball reported that just changing the base from 15 to 18 inches, and this is just first, second, and third, not home plate, that it has reduced player injuries in the minors by 13.5%. That's a big deal. We just saw uh, Chaz McCormick dislocate his pinky finger just recently on a bag. Now, I'm not sure that would have been solved by this as Chaz kind of fell back into first. But a lot of the, the idea of this is to, one, protect players from injury, and two, maybe give them... You know, it shortens the distance by six inches. You know, if you're talking three inches per, ba- per bag, that's a six-inch change. And with guys that are this fast, that could be a benefit. That could be something that encourages more steals, encourages more movement on the base paths. Another nod to adding offense to the game, which is, I think, the other thing baseball wants to do. It wants to encourage more offense, which brings us to rule number three, and that is the shift. The shift has been controversial in baseball for some time. The Astros are one of the teams that use the shift more than, uh, not more than any team, but they certainly employ it a lot. At this point, baseball is saying you got to keep two guys on either side of second base. So basically the, the days of putting four guys on one side with one in the outfield against a pull hitter, those days are over. Now, it might benefit some guys on the team, too. Jordan Alvarez, who's certainly more of a pull hitter. Alex Bregman, more of a pull hitter. Kyle Tucker. These guys might have more holes uh, in the, the side of the infield that benefits them, and it might lead to more offense for them. We don't really know. Um, it is worth noting that the change in the shift did not make, according to some reports from Baseball America, it had virtually no impact on offense in the minor leagues that essentially um it has really done little to nothing to change what hitters have done so we'll that we'll have to see if that makes a difference the last thing of course is the pitch clock which has been much talked about the major league baseball is going to allow 15 seconds in between pitches uh, when there's no one on base, 20 seconds when there is a runner in the base, base pass. Any viola- violation by the pitcher or catcher will relate in a ball. A violation by the batter results in a strike. Um, again, this is about tightening up these games and trying to reduce how long they take. And this is particularly true, true, I think, in the playoffs. Like I think 
you can argue that regular season, there's so many games that, honestly, do fans watch all of them? Probably not. Do fan, fans watch all of every game? For the most part, not. So, And I don't know that this will necessarily dramatically change that, but I do think it will have an impact on the playoffs. I mean, you saw we had some games that were four hours long plus in playoff games with all of these mound visits and all of these various different things that just take forever, right? So we're going to see less of that. And I think, honestly, that's probably a good thing. I think that's probably a real benefit uh, to fans overall who don't want to have to sit through that. I was at a game uh, this past week. Thanks very much to my uh, buddy, Frank Bullington, who uh, hooked my wife and I up with tickets. We all went and had a, a, a good time, even though the Astros lost to the Angels in that one game. Um, I picked up this lovely little retro hat in the team shop while I was there. By the way, Frank Bullington, some of you might know if you ever listen to 1560 The Game, know him as Frankie the Bull, who was the creative guy there. There's a new site that I helped him put together, a little plug for it, called 1560archive.com. It's literally the archive of... he He is a... Frank is a good friend and, and a, a guy who is one of the most incredibly uh, intelligent hoarders I've ever met. Like he knows, it's not like a hoarder where he piles stuff up in his living room and, you know, is surrounded by old newspapers. He saves things though, and he keeps them organized. And he has this massive trove of video and audio from 1560, and it's just absolutely spectacular. So get a chance. Take a visit 1560archive.com and take a look around. You get to uh, see Lance Zerline talking uh, like an Italian guy, which is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. And, of course, SEC guy and all the other characters, for those of you who are familiar. Uh, anyway, I was at the game, and my wife was there. And my wife is not a, a baseball fan directly. She does like going to games. And she will, like, you know, she's because her father, who... Alan, who we're going to have on in a little bit, watched the games when she was a kid. She does kind of find them comforting to have them on, which is great for me because I can watch games. But, um, you know, she talked about, like, how long is it going to be? Are we going to stay for the whole thing? Because it is a long deal. I mean, it is, it's, you know, if you drive to the ballpark and then stay for the whole game and then drive home from the ballpark, or in our case, Uber with someone who clearly did not know where they were going, you know, you're talking about a four, five, six hour sort of, you know, thing. <laughs> it's, and I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. Even when they lose, it's fun. But that's a long time and that's a huge commitment. It's a particularly huge commitment for families with kids. Um, you know, so I can understand them wanting to cut back on time. It makes sense. And these are the rules they think are going to accomplish that. Uh, we'll see what impact they have. They do not start until next season, 2023, so we'll keep an eye on that. So let's move on and talk about some things that I've discussed. Um, I've got it in my weekly Astros Roundup on the Houston Press. The first thing is, let's talk a little bit about the returns of a couple of players. Aledmus Diaz was back yesterday, uh, was in the lineup uh, DHing. He went two for four. Uh, Diaz is critical for the Astros because not only does he give them uh, a good bat in the lineup, which he does. I mean, he's been great all season. But more importantly than that, he gives them flexibility in the outfield. Diaz can play some center field. 
He can play some left field. He can play all the spots on the infield. It gives them a way to give guys breaks, but it also gives them a way to get their best lineup on the field. If you decided, let's say we're going to DH Jordan Alvarez and put Diaz in center field, then put Trey Mancini in left, now all of a sudden you have really your best hitters that are going to be in the lineup. Now I don't know if they'll do that. Uh, Diaz isn't traditionally center fielder. He can play it. But I do think it's... It's, a, it's an important get for them to have back from injury. He missed 23 games uh, with that groin injury. He uh, apparently is doing quite well, and he's back. Additionally, Justin Verlander will be back on Friday uh, from his, uh, what, did, what did they call it? It was a calf injury. It was some kind of bizarre. We, Blummer and I talked about it on here and like talked about feverishly searching Google for what it was. Fortunately... He's doing great. He's going to be back on Friday. They're going to have to start thinking about what they're going to do with the rotation because Hunter Brown continues to impress. Last night, six innings, two earned runs, I think six strikeouts, um, 82 pitches, stretched him a little beyond his last outing, which was a shutout. He got to pitch for the first time at Comiskey Park in Detroit where he grew up idolizing Justin Verlander. (laughs) Of all things, I mean, it must have been a dream come true for the kid, but I mean, he was really good. I mean, really good and very impressive. And so I think it's it's worth noting that this crowds the pitching situation even more so. Verlander's back. Um, now you have Hunter Brown in the lineup. And then you look and you have all your other guys. You have Lance McCullers, who's really starting to look good again. And you've got Framber Valdez, who just had his tied the major league record with 24 consecutive quality starts, tied uh, Degrom. Um, and then you have Christian Javier, who had a bit of a rough outing the last time, but still very good. Ho- uh, Jose Urquidy, another bit of a rough outing, but still very good. And then Luis Garcia, who is probably going to be the odd man out uh, when it comes to the playoffs. It it's really is an embarrassment of riches for these guys. Um, but I think the, the more important thing, forget about that for the moment. Let's talk a little bit about the offense because the offense has struggled recently. There is no question that the offense has struggled. But suddenly we are starting to see the signs that things are coming around. Look at what Blum said a couple of weeks ago, talking about how he just could feel that Jordan was coming back. He saw him doing some warm-up hitting. He saw him making contact. The hands are starting to feel better, and now you're seeing it. Two home runs in three games for Jordan. He's crushing the ball when he hits it. I think the one home run was 110 off the bat. Uh, I mean, that's 110 miles an hour off the bat is unbelievable. And then, you've, like we said, you've got Diaz back. Altuve's been good all year. Bregman has still continued to, to do well. Jeremy Pena had three hits the other night, and he's starting to look a little bit better, had a home run. But here's the guy that I think is most interesting out of all this, Yuli Gurriel. Yuli has struggled all season long, but like, let's look at his slash line. He's slashing 249, 292, 363, and then 655 OPS. Look at his slash numbers just in the games prior to last night, which I think, it, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, 
the box score from last night, he did. Let me just take a look. Um, he, uh, you know, he his slash line before last night was this. Pull it up here. It was four twenty nine, four twenty nine, five hundred, and nine twenty nine in three in those three games prior to that. Right, that was unreal right already but that's only a three game sample right so last night he comes in and he goes Yuli Gurriel two for four last night with a pair of RBIs and his first home run since July 1st now they're playing today I haven't seen anything yet about what's going on but Yuli Gurriel if he turns a corner and suddenly they're getting quality at bats from Yuli Gurriel uh, and Jeremy Pena, this is going to be a gauntlet to face for anybody. So let's all keep our fingers crossed that that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> this is a comeback for Yuli Gurriel because that would be spectacular for everyone who loves the Astros. All right. Last couple things we'll do before I get to our special guest. First of all, the playoffs are looming, right? We're a month away uh, from the start of the pl- the postseason, the Astros are now. I fr- I think their magic number to clinch uh, playoff seeds is like four. Their magic number for the AL West is like eight, and I think their magic number for the first uh, for first place in the AL is like eleven, something like that. Um, Brian McTaggart, who I've said many many times before, is an absolute must read. Uh, he had his Astros beat column that just came out today. It comes out every Wednesday and he talked about the playoff picture and he went through the possibilities of which teams the Astros would face after the wild card round. And basically he breaks it down to the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the Guardians and the Rays. Those are their four. Now out of those four, who would you guys rather than me? Personally, if I'm picking one, I'm picking the Mariners. Mariners, look, it would be their first time in the playoffs in 20 years. Uh, as he mentions, that T-Mobile Park would be out of control. But And, and of course, the Astros haven't had to uh, face Luis Castillo. But when you consider the other options, the Blue Jays are not great. But you'd be facing George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, who seems to always go ruin the Astros, and then Caven Biggio. Is it Caven or Cavan? Or Caval. I don't know what it is. Um, Craig Biggio's son. Um, that just feels like, I don't know, it feels too emotional. Then you have the Guardians, who the Astros have not played very well against. Um, and then you have the Rays. Now, the Rays, the Astros haven't played them at all. They're about to play them six games in 12 days uh, coming up here in the next couple of weeks. But the Rays are really, really good at pitching. Now, they're not very good at hitting. And as McTaggart points out, Tyler Glasnow will not be back. So the Astros have an advantage there. But if I'm ranking these, like the team I want first is the Mariners. I think the team I want second is probably the Rays, just simply because they just don't hit well and the Astros pitch incredibly well. Then I would go Guardians, and then I'd probably go Blue Jays last. I don't think I want Springer hitting. I just Does anybody want George Springer hitting a game-winning home run off the Astros. It feels gross even talking about it. It kind of makes me physically ill to even think about that as a possibility. George Springer 
comes up, you know, bottom of the ninth and hits a home run to be, oh, God, that's, that's uh, as I mentioned before, it's horrible. Very special it's a horrible thought today. and a horrible. Alan Mattiso, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Rice University legend, uh, my father-in-law, and a hell of a nice guy, and a huge longtime baseball fan. Uh, Alan, welcome on. Well, thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. So I, I want to give people just a sense of how much baseball you have experienced uh, in your life. You are from Philadelphia originally. So what was the team that you rooted for growing up? I loved the A's. I was a Philadelphia A's fan. And um, I followed them in um, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Oakland, and Las Vegas. <laughs> so that should tell everybody just exactly how uh how long you've been following it who's your favorite player growing up uh well i had various of them but i guess my favorite of all time is bobby shantz who pitched for them uh pitched for the a's um he was a he's a little guy do you ever hear of him i mean he was big I, in his time and i, I think it was it was either 52 or 54 when he went um, 24 and seven and was the most valuable player actually in the American league. Uh -huh. And, um, uh, he weighed in at 130 pounds at the beginning of a game <laughs> and 140 <laughs> pounds at the end. Uh, but he, he was a heck of a pitcher. And that year that he won 24 games, uh, I was such a fan that I went out to see him seven times and he lost. Wow. I'm sorry. He lost seven. I went out to see him four times, and he lost all four. <laughs> well, I guess that means you should never uh, rely on yourself as a uh, as a good luck charm. No, for anybody. No. <laughs> so, so how do you feel about the A's now that the Astros play them? Because you're a huge Astros fan. Yeah, so I'm, a, you must... I'm a huge Astros fan. Yeah, um, but I got to tell you, when you deal with me, uh, you're not dealing. With, a, with an expert. You're not dealing with a, a Jeff Blum who's great. Or mm. even if you're my nephew, I got to say, you're not bad. You're <laughs> dealing with Joe Fan. I mean, I'm just <laughs> I'm just in the game. I've loved the game for, uh, for decades. I once uh, tried to do the math and I figured that I have seen 2 million pitches and I find every single one of them fascinating. So... <laughs> well I, you know, I, I like to tell people that you are the world's most pessimistic Astros fan. And I yes, feel like that, yes. is, that is probably accurate at every game. I've never seen this man at a game where he didn't think the Astros were probably going to lose. And I assume that that is a defense mechanism on your part to keep from being overly disappointed, right? Yeah, I think it comes from the fact that I saw Bobby Shans lose all four games that I went to see <laughs> in 1952. But uh, yeah, I don't want to jinx them. I don't. I want. I don't want to. You know, move the universe into a hostile position. So um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I take a, a pessimistic view. I think that helps the team. <laughs> so how do you feel about talking about no hitters in the middle of a game? Is that completely verboten? Uh, no, I will. I will do that. You'll I mean, do I that. get so excited, I can't control myself. So. <laughs> 
So um, talking about this Astros team, I know we've talked about it quite a bit, you and I, about what we think is good, what we think is bad, where, where we think their weak links are. Obviously, you know, both of us have been worried about their offense, but yeah. it kind of looks like they're playing better. It does. Um, uh, I mean, you look at the end of their lineup, it's pretty weak, but you've got Diaz back, and I'm a yeah. big Diaz fan. You're yeah, done. I know you are. He's, 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 uh, he's going to hit again, um, and uh, the pitching is fantastic. So, um, uh, I don't I don't like to say this, but I'm fairly optimistic. <laughs> That's terrifying, really. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not sure really. if we, maybe I might need to strike that from the podcast. Right, right, right. Don't I, quote me. <laughs> so I was reading, uh, I don't know if you read it, but uh, Brian McTaggart, who writes from MLB.com, has a great Astros column every Wednesday newsletter. And the one he had this week, I, I'm really curious to get your take on it. He had the four teams the Astros are most likely to meet in the ALDS. Of course, the Astros are pretty much a, almost a guarantee that they're not going to have to play in a wild card game. Um, I, obviously, you've reminded me many times that you've witnessed te- the who's it the Red Sox that was up no, and then, the Phillies, the Phillies, the Phillies, a, right? Had a six game lead with twelve to go and finished two games <laughs> out in 1964. And now there's another reason why I'm an, a pessimist. <laughs> well, fair enough. But if they are going to the ALDS and they are going to face one of these teams, the four possible teams are the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the Guardians, and the Rays. So my question to you is, who would you most want to face out of that group and who would you least want to face out of that group? I'd like to face the Guardians, but mm. I do not want to face Tampa Bay. I That's an interesting. Yeah, I understand that. I will say, at least with Tampa Bay, they can't hit. Um, they're really good. They're great pitching, but they, but they, they just—they're not a very good offensive team. The one that scares me the most is the Blue Jays, just simply because, uh-huh. well, because of George Springer. Like I was saying, the podcast <laughs> yeah. earlier, like, nothing uh-huh. would destroy my soul uh-huh. more than watching yeah. one of the most beloved Astros and one of my all-time favorite Astros. Yeah. Yeah. Hit like a game-winning home run against right. against this former right. team. I would uh-huh. I would be I might be done. That might be it for me. Uh-huh. So and yeah, then of no, course I, you've got Craig Craig Biggio's kid plays yeah. for them and Teoscar Hernandez who seems to bat around the yeah. Astros all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's why emotionally I worry probably more about them than anybody else. I can see that, especially with the <laughs> Springer's the kind of player who could actually rise the occasion and kill us. Yeah. Oh, no, he could. And, yeah. you know, and also, who wants to watch that? I mean, I don't want to see that guy against us in the playoffs. Yeah. It's just, a, I mean, he's Mr. Playoffs, you know, yeah. has been for the Astros for years. So now with the Astros getting close to the postseason, though, um, and with Justin Berliner now coming back Friday, I see he's scheduled to pitch against your former favorite team, the A's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on on Friday, um, we you and I have talked about this a lot. Who are they going to Who are they going to pitch in the postseason? I, I think it's pretty clear that that uh, Luis Garcia is probably not going to make the postseason, right. which is crazy right. considering how good he's been. Yeah. But what do you make of Hunter Brown? This is, kid is just 
lights out. One more start, and he makes the postseason roster. Not as a starter, you think but yeah, yeah. As a bullpen. I mean, yeah. six shut six innings again last night, yeah. two yeah. runs. I mean, that the, the the slider is what's a 94 mile an hour slider. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And of course, the batters don't know him. So uh, yeah, that's an yeah. advantage I hadn't thought about, but it yeah, really yeah. is. They don't know him, so they're not they haven't swung against him. Um when you were uh when you were I well, when you were growing up or when you're an adult, I'm not sure. What is the I know you've seen all the Astros postseason appearances, but what to you was was besides the World Series, because that's the easy one, what was the one that you recall as being sort of the most memorable that that you were sort of just locked in on because it was so whether it was your team you're rooting for or not? Well, you know, when I grew up, baseball was really the national pastime. I mean, there were polls that showed that um, we were way ahead of pro football. Pro football never took off until about 1958 when they had famous playoff game with um, Johnny Unitas. And I can't um, mm. I can't remember the other guy, but it was a famous game. Mm. But until then, baseball was at the all-star game was a national event. Everybody, when, when you grew up, when I grew up, the two things that you had to know you had to be able to tell a 48 Chevy from a 47 Chevy and you had to know you had to know the the, uh, the the batting averages so we were in everything and the the game i most remember was uh, as a playoff game was i think maybe the most famous playoff game of all time and that was 1951 i was then what was i, I was about 14 and mm -hmm. um I ran home from school to see this. Uh, I don't know that any kid is running home from school to watch a playoff <laughs> game that his team is not in today. But that's what you did. Right. So I was there watching in my black and white TV when Bobby Thompson hit the shot, heard round the world against Ralph Bronca, and the Giants beat the Dodgers in a in the uh, last of a three-game playoff. And uh, that was that was really a, a riveting baseball moment. I bet it was. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, there, there's. I think you talk about the national pastime like that. I mean, now you don't really. I mean, there's so many different entertainment options that are available. Right. Sports are just one of the many. Yeah. Um, that and and of course now you don't. You know, back then too, TV was only a few channels of that. Right. And so right. you weren't going to get anything except what was really available to you. Um, I'm curious what you think. I mean, because you're, you're an open-minded guy when it comes to these things, you don't really freak out too much about the rule changes and that sort of thing. You're pretty, you just like to watch the ball games. Um, when you go to games, do you still think there's as much enthusiasm or do you think that it was crazier when you were coming up? Well, baseball is local. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. you know, unlike then when you knew everything about both leagues, the the interest is local, and you go to a big game at the at the um, at the at the Minute Maid. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just you know it's exciting. I mean, people get into the game there, and I would I would say that a big game at Minute Maid will generate as much excitement as a big game uh, in, uh, in Philadelphia 
say, uh, at the height of, of the, the baseball frenzies uh, uh, as a national pastime. I think there's a lot. Of, and you've been there. You've been there for big mm-hmm. games. Here. Sure. You know, yeah. It's intense. There's no doubt yeah. about it. And uh, yeah. big moments always lend themselves to that. Well, you were you you were a history professor for what, 50 years. Is that right? Am I right? Oh, uh, yeah. 52. Yeah. Right. And and in American history, of all things. So you're acutely aware of just how uh, culturally significant those I got to figure that back then, the cultural significance of those things just was much, much higher as compared to today, just because there is so much, there's such so many things spread out all over the place. Um, I mean, you were there when Jackie Robinson came into the league, obviously. Um, What was all of that like at that time for America as a country? Never mind for baseball. But what was what was that like? Those sort of moments? They, did they galvanize the country as much as it seems like it when you read about them? Yes. Uh, I, you know, one of the interesting things about American culture compared to today and then is how much more unified the culture was. I mean, there were uh, three tel- television channels. Everybody listened to the same radio programs. I mean, on on a Sunday night, you listen to Jack Benny, you listen to Fred Allen, you listen to the Fibber McGee and Molly. Everybody listened to Amos and Andy. Uh, everybody saw the same t- uh, movies. Hollywood churned out these movies. You would go in, uh, and everyone they, they were selling like 100 million tickets to the movies in those days, and everybody was seeing the same movie. You were listening to the same music. I mean, you know, I grew up listening to, to the Hit Parade uh, on TV. <laughs> And uh, everybody watched that, and 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 the, they would play the most popular songs. Uh, and baseball was one of those things that's unifying. I still remember 1948 when Babe Ruth died. I mean, it, the whole nation was fixated on, on that <laughs> in a way that would not. It, it's impossible to imagine anything like that today. What we've seen since then is a fracturing of American culture. You can see it in music. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a the variety of musical forms now uh, is tremendous. The the cable uh, options you have, the, the 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 culture is fragmented, and uh, it's also being sliced and diced. But back then, there was much more of a unified culture, and mm. in sports, baseball was central to that. Now, the other point I'd make, I think football has replaced baseball in that regard. And when you see the Super Bowl. That is an event that galvanizes a whole uh, country. That's the one sporting yeah. event you get. Well, I guess part of that, too, is there's just fewer games. And Super Bowl is a single game. It's not a seven-game yeah. series. There are right, only, right. you know, 15 or 16 games or whatever it is now that they've changed it, um, plus the playoffs. And it's and for that, it, there's, there's sort of a gathering moment for watching the games. It's every Sunday. Right. Yeah. So right. there is that sort of thing where you everybody knows it's Sunday afternoon. It's football, um, whereas baseball could happen anytime, including noon on a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, see, what's as what's the score today, anyway? <laughs> it's two to nothing currently. By the way, I just saw an update. Kyle uh, Tucker hit a home run, and uh, Bregman oh, hit a sacrifice fly. Wonderful. So, then uh, so Javier's pitching well. I one one other thing for you about the about the history behind it. Um, what, like the these moments, I, whenever we, you know, 
seeing history through the lens of a, a, a filmmaker or a documentarian or reading a book, it's obviously different than being there. But so there were such milestone moments that that reverberated throughout the country that baseball had a part of. And, and I think Jackie Robinson was being one of those big ones. Um, and the, and just the general integration of baseball. Um, was it as seminal, was it as uh, big a moment at the time that it happened? Like, was, was there a uh, conscious understanding of everyone culturally that this was going on? Or was it something that was kind of happening behind the scenes and that took on more cultural significance later? Are you, are you talking about Jackie Robinson? Yeah. Um, I would say that it happened, but I don't remember much conversation about it mm-hmm. among my friends or the family. I mean, it was a, it was an event, but what I do remember is when you go out and see a Phillies game, for the first time, there would be tons of black fans, and they were all That's rooting so cool. for the Dodgers, and they did that for years. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they still do that. Um <laughs> And it was perfectly understandable. Uh, so um, uh, that to me was uh, was the, uh, the what made Jackie Robinson interesting. It was how he brought black fans to the game and how passionate they were for the for the Dodgers. I think what it reminds me of recently. I've been watching. Uh, you know, the, the Disney just came out with a Little Mermaid, uh, and the character, the new version of the Little Mermaid. That character is going to be black. And I've been seeing reaction videos from little black girls who are seeing the commercial uh-huh. for the first time yeah. and like really freaking out, like uh-huh. because they recognize themselves in this character. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what happened to people at the time. They saw themselves for the first time in a in a you know in a sport that didn't allow them in prior to that. And so it must have been super exciting. <laughs> I'm sure it would have been the same for us. Yeah, well, what your remark kind of indicates is so many things about race relations in America have changed, and so many things are still the same. Yeah, that's absolutely the truth. No doubt about that. Okay, we're winding down to the end of the season. So I got to know, do you think the Astros are for two things, actually? We have some incredible big baseball things happening. I mean, uh, Aaron Judge is about to get to 60 home runs. He's, I think he's at 57 now after last night. Wow. You've got uh, Albert Pujols, who is who knew that this guy was going to, you know, be who he was going to be. But you've got the Astros closing in on potentially reaching their biggest win total ever, which I guess was 107 wins. Yeah. Um, so my question to you is, how far is Aaron Judge going to get? Is he, how far past 60 is he going to make it? He only has about, what? 20 games left, I think, something about that. And are the Astros going to break their – I'm I'm asking you for your prediction here. If the Astros are going to break their, their record for wins, and how far is Aaron Judge going to get? What would you put the over-under on Aaron Judge at? I, I'd put him at 62. Um, I think the Astros could break their record, but I don't think they will because mm. they're going to be so far ahead, they don't care. They're going to be resting players. You know, they're going to be ready for the playoffs. And so fans like me, Joe Fan, would like to see them break the record. Dusty Baker doesn't care. He's thinking about the division series. Right. Well, you keep saying this, Joe Fan, but come on. 
Like the average Joe fan has not watched baseball for 50 or 60 years and, and remembers why, you know, you say that, but you're well-versed in your own, in your own world when it comes to statistical information. You have, you remembered, you uh, memorized averages for Christ's sake. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, um, uh, when I listen to Blummer or Bagwell, do the commentary, the color. I realize how little I know about the game. I mean, I'm learning <laughs> something from these guys every time they talk. And um, yeah, I'm tuned in and, and I, I want to hear what they say, but they they have a lot to teach me, even though I've been following this game for 70 years. It is pretty amazing uh, yeah. to listen to those guys. The, the amount of knowledge that they, number one, retain, but then obviously they're stu- they study. You know, and they know what they're yeah. doing. They prep themselves, and yeah. Yeah. they've got tremendous talent uh, on top of all yeah. that. And and it's a it's a it's a fascinating perspective. Well, Al, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Uh, you know, I love talking baseball with you. I would I would talk baseball with you for hours if I could. And then, of course, at some point uh, off of this podcast, we will soon be talking about basketball as well. Oh, <laughs> let's, not, right, right. let's not forget that because the Rockets hey, are coming. Thanks for having me off. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks so much, Al. We'll talk to you soon. Man, I just love talking to that guy, talking baseball with him and basketball is so much fun. Just so you know, uh, Alan Mattiso, Alan J. Mattiso, is the Academic Affairs Director at Baker Institute and the William Gaines Twyman Professor Emeritus of History at Rice University. He was at Rice for 52 years. He's also the Kinder Institute for Urban Research Advisory Board Member Emeritus. He's a very, very impressive guy and just a fantastically wonderful father-in-law. My Also, my apologies for my horrible audio during that clip. We recorded it on Zoom to make it easier for Alan, and uh, I ended up talking through my tiny little Beats Pros instead of this lovely microphone. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Thanks very much, everybody, for joining the podcast today. My special thanks to Alan Mattiso, my father-in-law and longtime Astros fan. Love talking to him about baseball and just a just an absolutely fascinating guy. Uh, thank you all for joining me. As I mentioned, my partner in crime, Blummer, will be back. We're going to do a short podcast this weekend. I'm not sure we're going to call him yet. Maybe a blast cast or maybe... We'll call them in a half episode, but we're going to get together this weekend and churn one out, talk about what's been going on. Uh, right now, as I'm looking, it's 1 o'clock, so the Astros are still in the midst of their uh, game in Detroit. No idea what's going on there. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, uh, Joe Bob's Podcasting Depot, I think is one. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Mine is at Jeff Balke, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E. Blummer is at Blummer27. And then, of course, you can find our official one at B-L-E-A-V-N Astros, all on Twitter. Um, also, be sure to send us some questions. We'd love to answer your questions. We'd love to find out what you guys are curious about. Just add us and uh, hit us up with those. I'll mention it on Twitter as well. <clears throat> hit us up with those questions so we can get back some some answers to you, some interesting, maybe some not so interesting. Ask us weird ones. I like, ask me what I ate at the ballpark the other night. Hint, hint, it was nachos. I love ballpark nachos. And that's maybe something Blum and I need to talk about is ballpark food because I love me some ballpark food. I, By the way, I cannot go in there and come out without eating a pretzel. 
And I've almost come to the point where I cannot go in there and leave without buying a new hat. I, it's just, it's become a thing. What can I do? My wife's thrilled. Thanks everybody for joining us. Really appreciate it. We will talk to you in a few days and go Astros. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.